Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, I um, I don't know if we're going to talk about COVID-19 all day today, but it certainly uh, is in the news and for the foreseeable future will be in the news. Um, the unrest on our city streets uh, and sadly will be in the news uh, quite a while. And all this, as I say, each and every week when I do this show, we are ramping up to um, a historic election. And Donald Trump or Joe Biden are going to be president um, and they're going to have to preside over some pretty chaotic times out there. Uh, let me start, <clears throat> excuse me, by saying or uh, reading uh, an article I thought was kind of interesting. And we all know this, but this is uh, says police handcuffed as shootings soar to 24 year high in the city of New York. Um, this is current and former NYPD leaders blame bail reform, court backlogs, and reduction in prison population for surge in violent crime. How about a perfect storm? All of these things hitting um, at the same time and uh, rioting in the streets and COVID-19 sprinkled in and you have an absolute mess. Could you think of a better time, or excuse me, could you think of a worse time to uh, be a police officer? Um, the lack of respect police officers are getting on a daily basis, it's, and, and we need them more than ever now, and their jobs are harder and harder, and our respect level for them um, as, as it comes from politicians in these major cities in the United States of America is... Uh, waning and it, it in some instances gone it could not be um the more uh, a better perfect storm and it, it is just absolutely horrible so th this is brooklyn new york says new york city is spiraling into a rule of law crisis according to the city's police department citing the recent surge in shootings and a paralyzed justice system that cannot keep repeat offenders off the streets while the NYPD has sounded the alarm for months, city leaders seem to be headed in the opposite direction, slashing the department's budget by $1 billion. Um, I, I have never seen, and I've been doing this a long time, I have never seen people moving in, in different directions so quickly in my life when um, police forces uh, should be supported and mayors, governors, city leaders should be increasing budgets. They're slashing budgets. We all know why, but it, it is absolutely, you do not have to be a prognosticator. You do not have to be someone that um, is a political junkie, likes to talk about these things. You really do not have to have a very high IQ to know what is going to happen when you have bail reform, court backlogs, reduction in prison population, COVID-19, rioting in the streets, police being ordered by their um, uh, mayors and governors to stand down. The result is, is absolute chaos. And that's what we have. Um, the article continues. I hope I'm not the only one. It takes a long time to turn the ship that sees the iceberg directly in front of us. Um, 
New York uh, or NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea told New York One on June 22nd, the problem is the result of multiple compounding factors. Several current and former NYPD leaders said, first, the city passed a bail reform law that allowed more criminals to immediately get back on the streets. Then, the city went into lockdown in response to the coronavirus pandemic, resulting in shutdown of the court system, which created a sizable backlog of cases. It then released hundreds from its jails, saying it would mitigate the spread of the virus among inmates. Finally, protests sparked by the death of George Floyd during his arrest in Minneapolis in May quickly turned violent, fueling resentment toward police and elevating calls for abolishing the police department altogether. That, ladies and gentlemen, as we all know, is a recipe for disaster. It is only by the grace of God that these cities are holding together as well as they are. We we uh, reported on the craziness in Seattle uh, just today at the airing of this show. Things are going nuts in Portland, and they have been for weeks. Um, This article here says, Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York City, slams the NYPD union leadership, saying he has no respect for them as shootings surge. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio slammed a New York City Police Department union president who has been critical of his leadership. The Sergeant's Benevolent Association has only practiced division, says Mayor de Blasio. The, they foment hatred. They do not try to help us move forward, de Blasio said during a press conference on Thursday. They don't try to create anything good. I have no respect for the leadership of the SBA. The president of the SBA, Ed Mullins, openly criticized de Blasio on social media following a surge of shootings, uptick in overall crime, slashing of the police budget, disbanding of the city's plainclothes unit, and violent protests and riots following the death of George Floyd on May 25th. These protests throughout the city almost every single year, like Occupy Wall Street, Mellon said he has seen them. But in his 16 years, this is by far probably the worst I've seen from upper management. Honestly, we feel alone out there. How'd you like to be a cop, ladies and gentlemen? You're getting it coming and going. Criminals are shooting at you. Um, The people that you're protecting, many of them resent you. And the people that you ultimately answer to, your mayors, your township supervisors, your officials, your governors, um, are calling you names. They're defunding you. Uh, getting getting it coming and going is an understatement. Why, why would anybody in their right mind, other than altruistic reasons, become a police officer today? Thank God they're doing it. Um, they are the last line of defense between the good guys and the bad guys. But, um, I mean, talk, talk about a thankless job, uh, just unbelievable. Um, the, uh, the union leader goes on to say, <clears throat> excuse me, honestly, we feel alone out there. You go out and spend 17 hours in this day, and then you check your phone and you have certain members of Congress, the governor, the mayor, they're all saying that we're not doing a good job. That's got to be dispiriting. It's just absolutely... It's amazing that they're they're functioning at all. 
Other union officials have lashed out against the way the media and city leadership have treated the police, including New York Police Benevolent Association President Mike O'Meara, who said the police are being treated like animals. Um, I, I just... Um, it's amazing. The article concludes, we all read the paper all week that in the black community, mothers are worried about their children getting home from school without being killed by a cop. Omira said last month, what world are we living in? That does not happen. It does not happen. He said twice emphatically. I am not Derek Chauvin. He is the, uh, the police officer that um, killed George Floyd. Um, they are not him. He killed someone. We did not. So this union leader has had enough of being um, just uh, kicked to the curb and his men being kicked to the curb and his mayor not re- not supporting them. And it, it's got to be a, a, a horrible, horrible existence. And all of this um, mixed in with a, a presidential election and many other... Um, very important elections from the ground up makes one wonder what the tenor or the fabric of this country is really going to uh, is really all about right now. I, I know we have a ton of emotion going on, a lot of hatred. Our show last week where where we tried to um, bring a lot of scripture into the show and it's kind of a tutorial, if you will, for born again Christians or anybody that uh, is feeling anxious, frustrated, um, hopeless, helpless, useless. Uh, in, in hopefully that blessed someone. But um, here we are. Um, the the march the uh, the slow march goes on till November until we elect a president, and it will be very interesting to see if. Uh, and the left has made a, a um, they have quadrupled down on crazy and um, they have a lot of entities that they have hated for decades on the run and um, we'll see. And perhaps, hopefully, the words of my friend, Senator Rick Santorum, who has told me many times, Kurt, they always overplay their hand and let's hope that there are enough of them that are overplaying their hand that honest, decent, God-fearing, law-abiding, tax-paying, decent people that just want to make a living and enjoy themselves in this country, be they Democrat or Republican, will vote for people that um, do not support a mass defunding of police departments all over the country. Do not paint with a broad brush and categorize all police as animals. Do not subscribe to uh, destruction of federal property or even local property or any property. Um, Do not subscribe to looking the other way when people beat people down in the streets for absolutely no reason. Let's just hope that there are enough people on both sides of the aisle with D's or R's or I's or whatever in front of their name um, will vote for people that will 
calm the seas a little bit. Uh, I don't, I don't want to hang, nor have I ever hung all my hopes on politician. Our hopes are in Jesus Christ. He is Lord, uh, regardless of, of who the president is and what chaos is going on. He is in control. However, um, we do have a big election coming up, and I do think it's very important that people in general, if they are indeed informed, and that's a big if, and um, evangelicals, faith-based voters uh, specifically, um, take an interest in all of the elections uh, locally, uh, regionally, state-wise, and certainly at the federal level. A lot of things are in play. I've read a lot of articles today about how um, Republicans are actually feeling better about uh, keeping the Senate. I don't think the Senate was in in danger of um, the Republicans losing their plurality, but you know things happen. I know um, uh, article I read in Montana. Um, there seems to be some distancing between the Republican and Democrat um, candidate, which Republicans are happy about. And I also read some articles that they uh, there are politicians uh, on the right side of the aisle that think Republicans can make a run at the uh, House of Representatives. They need to pick up 18 seats, and many seats are um, are up for grabs right now. And that could change a lot in the next four months, or a little less than four months. But... Um, I mean, if Republicans in in the midst of of the uh, barrage of craziness and hate and lies and and just the the full arsenal against Donald Trump and many other Republicans uh, back on their heels when there's rioting in the streets and all sorts of craziness and then the COVID nineteen thing, if Republicans can actually, you know, publicly talk about taking back the House, I think that's. Um, I think that's amazing. I think personally, that's um, that's ambitious, particularly in a chaotic um, chaotic climate out there. But you know, uh, again, I, I have said on several occasions, I'm not the greatest prognosticator in the world, and I could persuasively argue both sides of this. During crazy times, um, people like stability, and. Um, until COVID-19 and all the rioting in the streets and, and some of that craziness, our economy was as stable as it has been and growing um, uh, for a really long time. And there was a, a fair amount of stability in homes and in the in the community, et cetera, et cetera. Um, COVID-19 and, and some of the rioting in the streets and the power grabs and, and the squelching of liberty have certainly uh, made people a little uh, nervous and on the one hand, when they are nervous like that, they they like to keep things kind of the way they are. And and I think a lot of people do see Republicans as doing a pretty good job. On the other hand, when there's tumult and chaos and emotion is high, uh, I could very well see Democrats doing very well in November with Joe Biden um, keeping the House and maybe making a run at the Senate simply because when emotions are high there is a um, a, a uh, correlation between emotions being high and logic um, uh, diminishing. It's very difficult to keep your head, look at the issues of the day, make logical decisions when you're out of your mind crazy or scared or angry. 
And Democrats have always done, and they always will do a very good job of keeping people fearful and angry. When people are fearful and angry, they simply do not look at the issues of the day as they should. And that is the reason um, almost universally, show by show by show, I always say, take it back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about this issue or that issue? That's why you should always check who you're voting for, how you think on on issues, what you're doing for your family, your vocation, how, how you're impacting this planet we live on based on the Word of God. That is just my opinion. I think it's a good way to go. And if more people did that, I think our country would be in um, in good shape. Um, speaking of someone that um, likes to foment fear and disorder and chaos and all sorts of tumult, um, young woman out of New York City, um, AOC, as she is called, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, this article here says AOC claims most Republicans haven't experienced poverty or crime. Now, um, this two-page article, you know, I'm going to comment on some of it. I I really started ramping up when I got to the end of it because she was in full-scale crazy mode and it was not sitting well with me. Um, And I'll, I'll comment on it as politely as I can, but <clears throat> the article says New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez claimed a major, or excuse me, a majority of her Republican counterparts are against stripping law enforcement of funding because they grew up in privileged families of wealth and opportunity. Um, I, I think my ire is going to happen before the end of the article, but we, we shall see. Um, that first paragraph is is kind of uh, misleading. I would contend, and I have the facts on my side, that many of her, not her, because I have done my research on her, and she she certainly did not grow up with a silver spoon in her mouth, but um, many of her colleagues on the left side of the aisle are some of the richest individuals in America. And not only have they enriched themselves when they got to Washington, they were on the fast track of of being rich and uh, privileged well before they ever got to Washington. So I, I th- this this hackneyed notion that Republicans are always rich and Democrats have just clawed their way up from the gutter to get everything that they've gotten is is absolute nonsense. In in fact, many of the richest people in the world. Um, uh, have clawed themselves up from nothing. That's why they appreciate what they have um, because their money has not come easy. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't have it in front of me, but there used to be a statistic about the hundred wealthiest zip codes in the United States of America, and they're almost all um, Democrat controlled as far as uh, the um, the voter registration in those um, in those municipalities are 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 far and away a a preponderance of those people are Democrats rather than Republicans. So, AOC tweeted on Monday the Democrats and uh, the Democrats said Republicans are unable to empathize with 
the movement, as she puts in quotes, to defund police departments throughout the United States because most have never experienced the poverty she witnessed growing up in New York City. Now, this is where my BP goes up, where she's starting to weave the web um, and the narrative that poverty and crime are inextricably intertwined. And I'll get to why that's nonsensical in a second. But early on in the article here, we're starting to get a flavor of where she's going. Republicans are all upset that I'm connecting the dots between poverty and crime, Ocasio-Cortez said. I know most of them haven't experienced or seen these issues firsthand, but I have. This may be hard for them to admit, but poverty and crime are highly linked, both violent and nonviolent alike. Okay. She says, New York is in the midst of a major crime surge as the coronavirus lockdowns and protests following the death of George Floyd have spurred people into the streets. During a virtual town hall meeting last Thursday, Ocasio-Cortez shifted blame to the federal government and suggested crime statistics were up because people couldn't afford bread. Listen to that one again. Crime statistics were up because people couldn't afford bread. Amid the spike in violence, one-year-old Devel Gardner was shot and killed at a cookout in Brooklyn on Sunday. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio said the death of the child was painful and that it's not something we can ever look away from. Fair enough. Um, But this is where Ocasio-Cortez gets very heavy into trying to um, sell the false narrative, in my opinion, that crime and poverty are inextricably intertwined. Ocasio-Cortez suggested television shows such as Breaking Bad were proof that white violence and crime are glamorized and portrayed in a sympathetic light in contrast to black and brown people committing similar crimes. Now, um, I happen to agree wholeheartedly with that statement. I never understood um, being a follower of God and a respecter of the rule of law and forwarding the notion just anecdotally um, because I have been poor, I have been rich, I have been everything in between um, that all people like law and order and uh, most normally normal mentally healthy people do not like um, disorder, chaos, crime, and they really don't like it glamorized. However, um, I will agree with AOC Uh, on that point simply because uh, The Godfather, um, The Sopranos, these are all very popular shows showing white people doing um, horrible things to other people. And there are, I will uh, admit and agree with AOC, there's a fair amount of white people that have no problem with that. But when they see crime in urban areas perpetrated by black people, they have a problem with it. And I think she is a thousand percent accurate. And I, um, I never understood it. Um, the people that love those mob movies but hate urban black crime doesn't make any sense to me other than the obvious. So I will agree with AOC on that. Um, but I will never agree with her when she tries to connect the dots 
between um, crime and poverty. She goes on, there are entire TV series glamorizing, humanizing, and sympathizing white Americans in this exact situation of selling drugs to live, weeds, Breaking Bad, etc., AOC said. But the fact is, black and brown communities have been in this predicament forever, and they get called animals. Um, this is where I part company with her a little bit. She is correct that there is a segment of the populace. You can assign whatever percentile you want to it that does indeed in the movies and television glamorize white crime and have disdain for black crime. I, I think that's, um, that's highly accurate and calling, um, people in these communities, animals is something that uh, people do and they should not do that, even though they're acting animalistic. However, um, where she goes with this, that, um, black people in the hood are, um, struggling to support their families and they just have to do it by illegal means, in my opinion, is a bit of a stretch. I would assert there are very few people committing crime in the black community or any community just to pay the bills. Um, I, I think that, um, Ocasio-Cortez laid out the conditions under which she believes young men are forced to sell drugs in an effort to feed struggling families. That is complete garbage. And she concludes by saying, when you are a teenage boy in a fatherless home, his dad has passed away. She wanted to make sure that she put his dad passed away rather than, um, she, the, the kid has absolutely no idea where the father is. She wanted to legitimize the father not being there. And she was very careful to say his dad has passed away. And there's a drive, um, to be the man of the house. AOC tweeted, you just got to help your mom. And what makes money fast when a full-time job doesn't pay enough to live selling weed. Um, I, I don't swear on the radio, but that is complete BS. That 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 is complete garbage. It is completely inaccurate. It is not steeped in any degree of statistical accuracy. And I will go back to my tried and true um, quote when anybody um, is, is intellectually vacuous on this subject as AOC is, tries to assert that these, these poor kids in the hood they just want to help out mom, so they're selling weed to pay the rent. Um, it, it is is such nonsense. And I go back to my tried and true um, uh, statement: if crime and poverty were inextricably intertwined, we would have seen the biggest crime wave in the United States of America in the '30s, and we did not. And, and despite the the recent spike in crime, or excuse me, uh, unemployment. And the economy turning because of the the pandemic shutdowns, um, when the the unemployment rates are are extraordinarily low compared to um, how horrible it was in the 1930s, and in the 1930s, people that that did not have literally two nickels to rub together did not resort to crime in order to pay their bills. They just did not. They did a lot of other really horrible, sad things that they had to do. They had to sell cars, houses. They had to move to wherever to do whatever. They did demeaning jobs. But 
there was not a crime wave in the 1930s. And I will conclude with this. For AOC to to um, provide cover for lawless individuals blowing up ATMs with dynamite, um, beating down people, uh, store owners, selling drugs and, and poisoning people's lives with drugs. And, and, and if she wants to assert this false narrative, it's just to pay the rent. She's full of crap. And, um, and what it does, it, it is, it is absolutely demeaning to poor people. And it is very much in the, um, in keeping with how Democrats look at minority individuals, poor individuals. They put everybody in boxes. They don't believe in individuality. They don't believe in liberty. They don't believe in freedom. They do not have the numbers um, to get elected. So they have to lie, cheat, and steal to do it. And when they when they forward these narratives, they try to cobble together as many disparate groups as they can and they try to, it, it is so insulting to the average intelligence of the average African American out there to tell them that, that their situation is so terrible that it's okay if they sell weed to pay for the rent. And it's even worse to assert that a preponderance of them are doing that. Um, I could take you to North Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, and the it, it may be bad. There may be some craziness in the streets. You may not feel safe, but I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, the bulk of the poor people in those areas and the bulk of the black people in those areas, they work. They're gamefully employed. They're underemployed. Um, they're, they may begin a raw deal at work. Um, and we can discuss and, and dissect that. But I'm telling you, the vast majority of black individuals in these areas aren't popping caps all over the place. They're not sticking people up. They're not breaking windows and stealing stuff. And and uh, they're, they're as poor as they can be. Now, we can analyze all the reasons that they are poor, and we can come back to the common denominator in 95% of urban um, areas in this country, Democrat leadership. But um, if you really want to talk about really what's going on, but to to indict a population, a race, a, a socioeconomic group and tell them that they have nowhere to turn but a gun and illegality is is insulting to the very people that go on mass every November 4th or whatever and vote for Democrats. And, and those constituents should know better that they're being insulted, left, right, and crazy. They're being used. They're being taken for granted. And, um, and my hope and my prayer is, and I see it growing, but I have to be objective. It, it's growing almost imperceptibly um, among African-Americans and people that are poor they are slowly waking up to the fact that white liberals like AOC and Biden and Pelosi and and, and these mayors and uh, of these cities for several decades that have driven these cities into the ground have not enacted policy that benefits the African American community or poor people in general. 
they have enacted policy that harms those two aforementioned entities. And for AOC to to paint a romantic picture that these young black men are just trying to uh, to pay the rent and pay the car payment, so they got to go out and sell drugs or stick people up, is is so absolutely offensive to the single mom that has two jobs and she's gainfully employed and she's trying to keep her teenage boy out of trouble. Um, if he comes home and says, hey, mom, I want to help with the rent. I'm going to start selling weed. She'll slap him in the head. And I know you can't say that these days, but um, good for her for disciplining her kid and saying, no, you're not going to help out with the rent uh, by selling drugs. Okay. And, and, and what I just said, uh, the concern that, that single African-American moms have for their kids is, is great. And it is, uh, in, in far more supply than this narrative, this scenario that AOC says is occurring in our urban areas. And, um, and she's really insulting the very people that she feels that she is representing because she doesn't have a clue. She does not have a clue. And, um, that's all I'll say about that. So, uh, told you I was going to get excited. The, um, so coronavirus seems to be, uh, doubling back upon us in, uh, many States and, um, urging or, uh, um, sending people out uh in the public uh airwaves saying you know we we have to um we have to hide under the bed some more we can't possibly start school our kids are at risk and um again we have the yin and yang that uh, some people thought was going to uh that was mercifully put to bed um maybe six weeks ago but it has reared its ugly head again and uh, again not a prognosticator but, um, but um, uh, you know, it didn't take much to predict this one. And, um, you know, if you listen to some scientists and virologists and, and doctors, um, it's not necessarily all that horrible that the cases of coronavirus are going up because what it's doing for anybody that understands the concept of herd immunity, it is... Um, in, in an odd way, it is um, lessening the time that this virus is going to be ravaging our planet um, simply by by people being exposed to the virus. Um, this is what happened to the Zika virus uh, a few years ago. Um, a fair amount of the population had exposure to it, and researchers think the community reached the right level of herd immunity, and then the virus um, really has nowhere to go. Um, you know, it it, it, it it makes the person that has had that exposure um, ripe to fight off the bacteria or the virus. It doesn't it doesn't uh, have anywhere to go, and that's that's uh, again how polio was was um, eradicated in the United States several years ago. So it is. Um, it is pretty predictable that when our benevolent dictators of one state or another told us we could get out from under our beds and go out, that um, there were going to be a spike in 
uh, uh, coronavirus cases. Uh, however, um, the the pink gorilla in the room that nobody wants to talk about is the mortality rates are infinitesimally low. They are going down, and um, uh, as as they have asserted in Sweden since the beginning of this, they never shut down. Their kids never were not in school, and their mortality rates are very low as well. And they did what um, the governor of Florida did, and several other governors. Um, they segregated people that were um, at high risk and they told them to lay low. And the rest of us who are not at high risk could go out and use caution and intelligence and um, do what we do as Americans. Now, the problem, and there are many problems, um, they say the biggest spike in uh, coronavirus cases are between individuals 18 to 34. And oftentimes, um, they're a little bit more reckless than they should be as far as um, hygiene is concerned and uh, social distancing is concerned. And that's always been a problem. Um, uh, but, you know, that that is something that is going to happen. It is predictable. It is happening. And we can discuss that if you'd like. However, one article that I saw that has nothing to do with science and it has everything to do with politics is uh, this article I'm about to read here. It says some labs only reporting positive COVID-19 test results to Florida officials. Now, um, like it or not, and there is absolutely no way we are going to be able to extract politics from this issue. The the hatred of Donald Trump, first and foremost, is beyond comprehension to, to the normal human being. It, it really is. Um, secondly, the hatred of freedom and liberty and, and uh, capitalism is a really close second. And you have a, a fair amount of individuals, um, certainly not a plurality, but a very well-funded amount of individuals that have those two things in place. You will never, ever, ever be able to separate the politics um, of the COVID-19 pandemic from the science in, involved with COVID-19. You will never do it because the left has glommed on to this and they have uh, put a full court press on this and they will never um, let up injecting politics in every aspect of this until Donald Trump is defeated or he wins. But uh, even when that happens, either of those things, they will still continue to fight liberty and freedom and capitalism and the American way of life because they hate it. Um, this article says several private labs contracted to process COVID-19 tests in Florida are reporting incomplete data that artificially could be boosting the state's positivity rate for the coronavirus the Florida Department of Health said. Now, this is not CNN. This is not Fox. This is not some right-wing Trump-loving whatever that's saying, hey, you're cooking the numbers. This is the Florida Department of Health. That's a pretty reputable organization. Um, 
The DOH maintains that incomplete data is negative test results, noting several labs are returning only 100% positive results and others are reporting positivity rates in the 80 to 90% range. That is insane. Um, and we'll go into the numbers a little detail. Numbers on the radio usually um, aren't that effective, but they, they, they seem to be in this article here. Orlando's Fox 35 News was the first to report the discrepancy Tuesday after an investigation revealed one testing site reported 83 tested people all returned positive results. How the hell could that happen? And another reported an 88% positivity rate. Orlando Health sent 522 tests to a lab that returned 512 positive results. That is not accurate. You do not have to be a scientist. You do not have to be a Democrat or Republican, a Trump hater or a Trump lover to understand when 522 um tests are sent to a lab to see if the individuals are positive for COVID-19 and 512 of them come back uh, as positive, that is inaccurate. It says that's a 98% positivity rate. Orlando Health maintains when it asked the batch to be reprocessed, meaning, why don't you take another look at this? Only 9.4%, less than 50 individuals were actually positive. How does that happen? I'm I'm not going to fill in the blank there and 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 state what, you know, thoughtful people would want to know, but how the heck does that happen? Florida is a hotbed, not a hotbed of COVID-19, but a hotbed of uh political um craziness. Florida, once again, uh 20 years later, may be at the uh forefront of who the next president of the United States is going to be. And if you think individuals that um, that hate the governor and and uh, and cannot stand Donald Trump uh, don't understand the fact that I just articulated, you're crazy. There there are people that um, when um, when uh, Governor DeSantis um, uh, uh, did his little victory lap and, and and was bloviating a few weeks ago, we reported it on the show. They were fuming and, um, and you know, uh, Donald Trump and the RNC announced they're coming to Jacksonville. And all of a sudden, these numbers start ballooning. Now, people tried to uh, say it was because of the Memorial Day holiday and now um, July 4th and kids are going crazy and it's spreading and, and we got to hide under our beds again. Well, maybe it is spreading for the first two reasons. But maybe it's spreading because these numbers are absolutely whacked that are being reported to the Florida Department of Health. Orlando's Veteran Affairs Hospital reported tests returning with positivity rates of 31, 46, and 76% on a combined 710 tests sent to various labs, according to the Orlando Sentinel. The DOH reported Wednesday, excuse me, reported Wednesday that, okay, let me see here. Yes, reported Wednesday, Florida had 2.43 million testing negative for an overall 11% positivity rate. Now, that doesn't, that's a lot lower 
than what I just chronicled. How significant the unreported negative tests and how many there could be is uncertain. The department immediately began working with labs, uh, smaller labs, to ensure all results were being reported in order to provide comprehensive and transparent data, a DOH spokesman said Tuesday. As the state continues to receive results from various labs, the department will continue educating these labs on proper protocol for reporting COVID-19 test results. According to the DOH, the discrepancies are emerging from smaller labs that may be following the same reporting guidelines for COVID-19 as they do for other infectious diseases such as gonorrhea or HIV that don't report negative results. Private and public laboratories are required to report positive and negative test results to the state immediately, DOH told Fox 35. In recent days, the Florida Department of Health noticed that some smaller private labs weren't reporting negative test result data to the state. The department immediately began working with those labs to ensure all results were being reported in order to provide comprehensive and transparent data. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said the state's Merlin system for reportable illnesses requires positive test results only be forwarded to DOH. In March, he said, we said report the negatives also. There were a lot of labs doing what the default is, sending positives only. I know some of the major labs were submitting the positives only first. And then in April and May, um, they would dump the negatives later. Now, this is interesting. Um, so is um, they they would report the negatives, but they would do it later. Um, <clears throat> larger industrial-sized labs, which do the bulk of the testing, are including full results, including negatives, DOH said. Among them are Quest Diagnostics in Tampa, which has reported an 11% positivity rate for 540,816 tests. Laboratory Corp, um, 12% positive out of 455,000. Bioreference Labs, 13% out of 360,000 tests. And Advent Health, 11% positive out of 103,000 tests. Now those numbers, although high and alarming and concerning, are certainly not like the numbers we chronicled on the first page of this article where labs were reporting um, a a 98% positivity rate, 522 people, 512 would come back with positive. Something is not right there. DOH and others are increasingly questioning how a matrix of private labs analyzing tests are not following the same guidelines and often file results in This is what I was getting at earlier. Data dumps, days or even weeks after being processed, skewering the snapshot of the coronavirus spread that public health officials say is necessary to combat the virus. DOH reported 15,300 COVID-19 positive test results Sunday, the nation's highest single-day total. More than 7,000 were reported by Work a Virginia lab that has accounted for 52,000 of the 301,000 COVID-19 cases reported in Florida, despite handling a lesser volume of testing than other labs. 
Now that's interesting. And so what is occurring here, in my opinion, when I dissect all this, these data dumps um, can very well uh, capture a ton of COVID-19 positive uh, cases that were diagnosed uh, several weeks ago and holding that stuff and then dumping it at an in, uh, at an opportune time for some individual or entity politically is reprehensible. We're, we're trying to get our arms around what this virus is and what it's all about and how to stop it. And again, um, to, to cook numbers, to uh, hold back numbers, to report in a way that the DOH says is, is not what you should be doing. These are all ways that people can, can skew the numbers or make people look bad. And that's not a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. That is that is not a good thing. They're playing with um, playing with our health, and that's not a good thing. Um, there there is a drumbeat now by many individuals, and I, I don't know how this one's going to play out. You go to one municipality, they say, "Hell yeah, we're going back to school. Kids are going back to school. That's it." Um, the mortality rate among uh, children, uh, school age, 5 to 18, is absolutely infinitesimal. And that is irrefutable. That is undeniable. And um, yet, we have school districts that say there's just no way. We're not going back. Um, we have Nancy Pelosi here that says, messing with the health of our children. It's always about the children, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? When you ever want to forward... A piece of legislation, throw throw the name children in it, and it, it, it has half a shot of passing. It really does. Um, Pelosi blasts Trump administration's calls to reopen the schools. So again, um, the science um, says that we can do this. We can get kids back in school with proper social distancing, proper hygiene, um, all sorts of uh, creative ways to instruct um, in place. Uh, mil- in, in some uh, school districts, millions and millions of dollars of renovation to ensure that these uh, environments are, are very clean, uh, sterile almost, if you will, and not COVID-19 friendly. Yet we have uh, a number of, of uh, school districts, particularly in um, Democrat uh, strongholds, so we're not going back. And they they're whipping up a motion. They're telling their union teachers that you're going to be in danger, and your kids are going to be in danger. And Trump is Satan, and all this stuff. And here we go again. So we'll see how this plays out politically. Um, I, I I'm telling you, um, I would not bet against Donald Trump. Uh, if, if you think you're going to beat him when he's saying we got to get back to school, um, there's a fair amount of people on both sides of the aisle, um, i.e. parents that want their little rodents back in school. I can tell you that. And they're not going to be real sympathetic with um, their kids having to do virtual school. Um, some of these statistics on virtual school blew my doors in. Uh, City of Philadelphia, um, 35, 40% of the kids uh, the last two months of school just didn't even bother with the whole virtual school thing. They wouldn't even log on to their computers. I mean, 
I don't know what what kind of grades did they get? Um, they just didn't do it. So I mean, it, it it presents a conundrum. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had choice words about the Trump administration's goal to reopen schools in the fall, despite upticks in coronavirus cases across the country. The California Democrat on Sunday called Education Secretary Betsy DeVos's stance on reopening schools malfeasance and dereliction of duty, adding that a swift reopening would put the health of students at risk. The president and his administration are messing with the health of our children, Pelosi said on CNN's State of the Union. We all want our children to go back to school. No, you don't. That's a lie. Teachers do, parents do, and children do, but they must go back safely. Um, President Trump has been strong on his stance that schools could reopen in the fall. He criticized the guidelines um, put in place. Uh, let me just get this here. Put in place by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention as being impractical and expensive and threatened to cut off federal funding to school districts that don't fully open. While the Trump administration has emphasized that CDC guidelines are recommendations and not requirements, Pelosi said, and this is this is chilling rhetoric, but not surprising, um, public health measures should be mandated, but she feels the administration would never give a green light to that idea because you have to have a science-oriented administration to require it, she said, adding, um, they should be mandates, not requirements. Um, I'm not surprised. People on the left love to mandate all sorts of things and to tell you when you can send your kids back to school despite assurances from um, the individuals that are in your children's care that the school will be a safe environment and they're doing all sorts of things to ensure that. She wants that edict to be on high. Um, she wants it to be a mandate, not a suggestion. Um uh, and and that's not surprising. Uh, she also criticized the Trump administration's overall handling of the pandemic, alluding that the push to reopen schools will only add to the chaotic governance of the virus. They have no appreciation for the failure that has brought us to this point, Pelosi said. Going back to school presents the biggest risk for the spread of the coronavirus. They ignore science and they ignore governance. Um Again, uh, a lot of uh, bombs lobbed across the aisle. I don't hear a lot of solutions from Mrs. Pelosi. Um, I don't know what she wants. Uh, in, in her rich district, I'm sure that they, they have a lot of money to do virtual school. And I'm sure all the kids log on daily and do their assignments. But uh, evidently in Philadelphia, not many of them do. And what would she do in, in situations like that? So, um, again, uh, the uh, coronavirus is going to be at the fore in many people's minds in how they vote in November, and God only knows um, who that will benefit. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Until next week, have a great day.